0: There in the bulletin, it says that, that uh, our purpose at BP Church is to know and follow Jesus by helping others to know and follow Jesus. Well, following Jesus, to follow, has the implication of knowing what to do. There's something to do. To follow is a, is a direction. There's a step to take, a step in a certain direction. And how do I know what I, what I should do? Do you ever wonder about the will of God? How can I know what God would have me to do in a particular circumstance or situation? How do I know how it is that I would follow God here in his will? Oh, if it could only be simple. This is playoff weekend the NFL. College football stopped, so the NFL has now decided to, 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 to fill the, the screen on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday night with, with playoff games. They, they added more playoff games so that they could do that for us, if they're still relevant at all. But, but one of the most important moments, a lot of these games are going to be real tight. Well... And then there are those like the Bills and the, and the Patriots that were not. But some of these games are really close, and, and uh, even who gets the ball first, who gets the chance to score first is, is a big deal, and it may determine the outcome. It may determine who continues that path toward the Super Bowl and who is done for the year. And so with such a momentous decision on the line, how do they resolve that? With a coin flip, of course. Now, if they can do that for, for this million-dollar industry of the NFL, then a coin flip, chocolate, gold-covered coin left over from Christmas, a coin flip will, no, you can't have it. Right. A coin flip would probably work for you as well. What if you could just do a coin flip and, and the big issues of life could be decided for you that way? Wouldn't that be great? You could know God's will. All right. Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning. How can we know God's will? And the the matter arises in the book of Nehemiah. And if we carry on our theme of, of building up one another, that Nehemiah is not only about building a wall, it's about building a people. God used the building of the wall to build up his people. If we are about building up one another as followers of Jesus, well, this question arises in just the first two verses of chapter 11. In our, in our Monday morning sermon workshop, some of the guys were, were giving me a hard time about place names and people names, that there was no way I was going to avoid it because chapter 11 was full of them. We're only going to do the first two verses this morning. We'll come back to the rest of the chapter when I've had a little more practice with those names. But Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all of the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Okay? They cast lots. Now, we don't know exactly what casting lots was like. We don't know exactly the mechanism of it. It's no longer done. We don't cast lots in the church today. You know, Can you see it at the, at the deacon meeting? They're trying to make a decision this way or that way on a building maintenance. Which, which, uh, which bid should we approve? Somebody says, I know. Let's roll the dice. Can you imagine the deacons around the table rolling dice? Now that would create a story, wouldn't it? Uh, we, we don't do that. And why not? Let's talk about that. How do you know God's will? Well, first of all, and this will explain where the casting of lots comes in here, this, this decision of chance, so it seems, this way or that way, depending on how the thing that is cast falls, okay? First of all, we know God's will by doing what God's word says. That's basic, in fact, the casting of lots is done because God's word says so. We know God's will by doing what God's word says. I, Psalm, I, I, there's a lot of different verses I want to show you today. And so instead of turning back and forth and here and there, I've given you the list of verses in your notes at the back of the bulletin. And we're going to show them on the screen as, as we move along. The first one is Psalm 119. And, and starting from verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it, by taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Let me be reminded of them as we do each week in our worship service. Reminded of God's word and God's precepts. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's some accountability to God's word. We do that together in D groups. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes, your precepts, your principles, your word. We do that in BP Academy. We know God's will by taking heed to his word. You know, there's this sense of, well, some people, sometimes God just chooses and blesses certain people. And there was a time in Jesus' ministry when, when, when there was this one woman in the crowd, and she called out, basically, blessed is the woman who gave birth to you and, and nurtured you. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, we want to honor Mary, all right. But, but Jesus says, whoa, whoa, back up. Take a step back. He said in Luke 11, blessed are those rather who hear the word of God and keep it. How do you know God's word? God's will? By knowing God's word. Blessed are those who hear the word, give attention to it, and then do it. They keep it. That's what Mary did. Mary heard a word from God, and she stepped into it. Joseph did the same thing, and on the story goes. That's what Paul, Paul reminds to me of as well from childhood. In, first, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You want to know God's will, first of all, for salvation in Christ Jesus. It's in the Scriptures. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness; for telling you truth, for correcting lies, for 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 um, uh, telling you don't do that, and telling you instead walk in this way. This is the way to life and blessing. The word of God is alive; it is living; it is active; it's powerful; is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit. Of joints and marrow, it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We, don't, we are not able even to, to judge one another's motives. You can see something that was done, and you can make a, a judgment on that, but, but be careful about how you judge the heart of another. their motives that we, we cannot know ourselves. And yet God can know, and God can even reveal to us our own hearts, and he does that by the living word of God. How can you know God's will? Do what God's word says. John says in 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, For whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. God does his work. God completes his work. God works the likeness of Christ in us by his word. How do you know God's will? Doing what God's word says. But the problem here is God's word describes casting of lots. God's word seems to describe a coin flip. God's word seems to describe the rolling of the dice to know what it is that we should do. How would you like it if big decisions in your life, what kind of things are decided by the casting of lots? Well, but by, by, by the casting of lots, um, it was used to determine which scapegoat was going to be chosen on the Day of Atonement. One would be the scapegoat who would, who would be offered there at the temple. The other would be the goat of removal, the goat that would be set free into the wilderness. Which goat do you want to be? It's decided by a coin flip. How, uh, how, how, how about the story of Achan? Achan. When, when, when they take Jericho, and, and uh, Achan is this one guy in the midst of all the soldiers of Israel. When they rush into the city, and it's all the spoils are devoted to the Lord. But Achan says, man, those are some nice threads hanging in this closet here. And man, look at those gold bars. God isn't going to miss a couple of these gold bars. I mean, God's got plenty of gold. I'll just take a couple of these for myself. And he sets it aside, and he buries it under his tent. I mean, it's a tent. You're going to have to move the tent. This is going to be an ongoing problem, but it's not, because God uncovers it. And by the casting of lots, by the rolling of the dice, by the flipping of a coin, um, one, one tribe within Israel, then one family within that tribe, and down it goes until Achan himself is singled out as the guilty party by the casting of lots. By the, by the casting of lots in, in, the, in the days of Joshua, the individual inheritance, where each of the clans or tribes of Israel were going to live. Were you going to live in the rolling hills, in the foothills? Were you going to live in the fertile Galilee plain? Where were you going to live? It would, it would choose how you work to survive. What kind of farming would you do? Let's roll the dice and see. So think of it. How would you like if the major decisions for you, like what job you're going to have, where you're going to live, if you're guilty of a capital offense or not, how would you like those kind of major decisions to simply be determined by flipping a coin, rolling the dice, let's see. How can that be? It seems very arbitrary. It seems very random. Is God random? Is God arbitrary? Does God just say, well, let's just see, you know, let's, let's flip the dice on your life and your future. Well, no. Proverbs chapter 16 explains this. Proverbs 16 and verse 33, it says this, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. What if you could know we are going to flip this coin because it's a special gold chocolate coin? You know it's a good coin. We're going to flip this coin, and we know that every time for the decisions, the spiritual decisions that we are called upon to make, that we can flip the coin, and its outcome is going to determine what God wants us to do because God's spinning the coin. Can God spin the coin? Can God determine which end comes up and which one doesn't? Certainly he can. So if God is sovereign, if you're you're confident to rest in this sovereign power, the control of God over circumstances and situations in life, then you could trust yourself to a coin flip, if that's what God is telling us to do in the situation, as he did in certain cases, even, even in Acts chapter 1. Followers of Jesus. It's time to pick a new apostle. So what do they do? Roll the dice. Should it be this guy or this guy? Heads or tails, right? And one of them is chosen based on that role. But after that, interestingly enough, after that choosing the apostle by the rolling of the dice in Acts chapter 1, you do not have God's people casting lots any longer. Decisions are no longer made that way. I'm going to give you just a little peek into Pastor Ryan's ordination council process that he is going through right now. He's got, he's got one, more, one more session next month, and we're going to grill him there about eschatology. That's going to be fun. But, but this week, or this last week, in one of the questions I asked, I said, Ryan, now, in, in Acts chapter 1, they have a major decision. Who's going to be the 12th apostle to take Judas's place? And they cast lots, they roll the dice, they flip the coin to find out which man. And after that, in Acts chapter 2 or 3 or 4 or 5, and on into Romans and Colossians and Ephesians, you don't have any casting of lots any longer. I said, what changed? And I was so glad. He nailed it. He said, Well, in Acts chapter 2, you have the coming of the Holy Spirit. And before God is outside and God God is showing us his will, and at times in certain situations, he did that by controlling the Lot whose every outcome is was from the Lord. But now he does it inwardly according to his Holy Spirit. How can I know God's will? By the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me show you Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. I think we're going to put this one up, up on the screen as well. Ezekiel 36 describes the new covenant. describes God giving to his people this indwelling Holy Spirit. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I will give you a tender heart from heart of stone to heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. And thereby, by my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes. There, We're back to his word. And be careful to obey my rules, my precepts, my law, my commandment. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, their inheritance, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will put my spirit within you so that you can walk in my ways. You see this played out in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 16, for instance, it's the spirit of Jesus. In fact, let's turn there. I I I didn't put this one up on the screen, I don't think. Acts, Acts chapter 16. So in Acts chapter 16, if you flip over to verses 6 and 7, this is where Paul, on the second journey, they're taking off and they're going through Turkey, and uh, Paul wants to go to Ephesus. Ephesus is a big city. Ephesus is an important city. Paul wants to go there, but it's apparently not God's time yet because the, the Holy Spirit, will not let him go there. The Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus forbids them. And then he says, well, we can't go to Ephesus. Well, maybe we're supposed to go the other direction. Maybe we're supposed to go to this place called Bithynia instead. And again, the Holy Spirit doesn't allow. And so they continue on to Troas. And from there, they go to Philippi. And that's why you have the books of Philippians and Thessalonians and Corinthians in in your Bible. Finally, he'll get to Ephesus later. But the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is directing them actively in this process. How can I know God's will? By the leading of the Holy Spirit. We pray to know God's will. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Colossians 1, 9. We have not ceased to pray for you, Paul says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit within who helps you to know and to walk in his precepts, his principles, his word. I'll know God's will by following his word. I'll know and understand God's word by the illumining of the Holy Spirit. Lord, open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your word. They praise. You know, I think of my own story, Julie and I's story, of being called into missions. And how did this happen? I can assure you, when we made the decision to leave halfway through an Air Force career, halfway to that 20-year retirement that some people arrive to, and uh, to, to pack up our three young children at the time and to go off to Africa, Uh, In fact, when we signed up for it, we, we didn't even know what country we were going to. There was something Abrahamish about that. Go to a land that I will show you in the future. And we wouldn't have made that decision by a coin toss, by the roll of the dice. But God was working in us through his word and by his spirit. And as we were going through the book of Romans passages that told me that apart from faith in Jesus Christ there was no salvation and that all of these people were condemned because of their sin and before I read those same passages in Romans chapter 3 and I saw the reality of God's right judgment against humanity because of our sin that's the that's the that's the focus but now, as I read it, I also my heart was tender in a different direction. It was tender for what about other people who need to know this? What about other people around the world that need to be aware that they need a savior and a savior has been provided. Later on in the process, as we as we as we continue, God took us to a Bible conference. And there, in the, in the midst of that Bible conference, there I was in the Air Force at the time, we have three young children. And we would take a week of of, of vacation or leave time in order to attend this Bible conference. And that year there was there were two speakers. One of them was his name was Abe Vanderpoes. Some of you would remember him years ago from the the voice of missions on Back to the Bible. He was also the leader of HCJB, which was a mission broadcaster. I'd never heard of missionary radio. God is God is putting this desire in our heart to be our our work of the day. My my eight or ten hours of daily work being in about getting God's word to others. But I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, a, a Bible scholar. And I'm not an evangelist. How do I do that? I, I'm an electronics guy, and I'm pretty good at it. And now I'm teaching electronics in the Air Force. And that's what I know, and that's what I do. And God has given me this and success in it for 10 years. How does that relate to getting God's word to others? And so for a week, this guy is teaching through the book of Acts, Man, it's a thrill in our heart, and he's telling stories of how God is using missionary radio and engineers and technicians to to get God's word to others in a couple hundred languages around the world, many times in places where missionaries couldn't go. We said, "Oh, that's it. That's how God would use what He's already given me in His ministry." But there was a problem. I didn't want to give up the security that I thought I had in the Air Force. So the Spirit of the Living God had another guy at that conference. And I tell people that I don't think he studied a lot. He was a guy from Western Seminary. I don't think he studied a lot. Because he had the same message, at least from what I heard. Day after day, all week long, he's teaching through First Peter, and, and he's saying we are strangers, we are aliens here, we are sojourners, we're pilgrims on a journey, this world is not our home, we're only passing through, I didn't need to worry about the security that I thought I had, I mean the Air Force didn't pay a lot, but they were real regular every month, and if they ran out of money, they could just print more. So I, 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 we had three kids born in Air Force hospital. One of them needed, at the, at the age of seven months, needed emergency surgery for, for a fractured skull. It was a big deal. And, well, they, he had good care in that Air Force hospital. And I, I didn't want to give up the security that I thought I had in that current vocation. And God was ready by his Spirit Through the teaching of His Word to speak to the very need of my heart. Session by session, Julie and I would debrief afterwards and we'd compare notes and there was no doubt in our mind how God led us by the leading of His Spirit and the desire in our heart and the confirmation, the seed planted and the direction confirmed out of the clear teaching and reading of His Word. How can I know God's will? by doing what God's Word says, and by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, that leading into missions also involved the, the counsel of others. It was confirmed not only in our own understanding of how God was leading us through His Word, but what if we're missing it? What if we have our own agenda, and we can, we can then push that agenda onto whatever we look at? Well, there's where the counsel of other, spiritual mentors Others who had walked with the Lord longer than we had that we could counsel with, talk with. People who knew us. That's why it's important to have those kind of spiritual relationships in life. Do you have people who know you and who know the Lord and his word? That they can counsel and guide that That what the Spirit is telling you, the Spirit can also be leading them in according to his word so that you have this agreement together. You know, the deacons don't. We have a plurality of deacons, but they don't roll dice to find out what God wants done. And the elders don't do that either. I've never been at an elder board meeting. You'll be glad to hear this. I've never been at an elder board meeting where the dice came out. But we have a plurality of elders, multiple elders. And one of the things we look for is each of us with somewhat of our own angle on things. And each of us, the essence of our fallenness is a self-centeredness. And so when when the Spirit will lead in the midst of our own inherent self-centeredness that is part of our fallen flesh... Our natural humanity that that the the spirit of the living God will lead us together seven, eight, nine of us in the same direction. we have some confidence that God is leading us. There have been many times when I brought in a, a great idea to the elder board. I was convinced it was a great idea, and they said, well, we don't really see it or Not sure that this is the right time for that. And I left that meeting not discouraged, not saying, Man, when are these elders going to get it? No, I left that meeting grateful for a company of spiritual men who will seek the Lord's leading and can confirm when it's a time to do X or Y and when it's not. There's a safety in that, of the leading of the Holy Spirit through, a, through multiple counselors. There were also circumstances. God, God led through circumstances. I had a very, I had a good career. I liked the Air Force. The Air Force liked me, and yet... In fact, I got myself, I was, it was doing so well that I got myself promoted, in a sense, out of a job. I was in a field that was supposed to be a lousy field. We had lousy assignments. We had a lot of mountaintops in places like Turkey, uh, where, where you provided long-distance communications. But, but it was a, a place where you had to be for a year away from your family. And a lot of people wanted out of that field once they found out about that angle of it. We had the second highest divorce rate of any career field in the Air Force among enlisted people. So it seems like there came a time when there were too many in the new rank that I was promoted into. And so they said, okay, we want volunteers. We'll retrain some volunteers into other jobs. Sound like, well, this is obvious. There are going to be all kinds of people wanting and wanting to get out of this career field into something else. And it went around, they asked again. And they came down and said, okay, we're going to take non-volunteers. And Sergeant Carlson, you're number one because you're the, you're the youngest guy promoted up. You're the guy with the most time left for your new job. You're the number one selected to be retrained into some other field. Not only was God leading us where, where he intended for us to go, but He's was saying, by the way, you can't stay here anymore. And God was doing this in a way, after we got out, we got word of what our next assignment in the Air Force would have been had we stayed in, had we not chose to follow God's leading and and, and to exit the Air Force. After we made that decision, we found out, should never have have learned this, but we found out what the decision would have been. We w- I would have had a one-year tour in the Philippines. It was after that big volcano went off where uh, what used to be a, a with-your-family assignment now turned into... a. Uh, one year, just you, not your family, which was the very thing Julie and I were praying, that that would be an assignment we would not get. Because I should have, I should have had three of those in a 20-year in a career, two of them in the amount of time that I was in. I didn't have any. In fact, I never left the States. It was weird for my field. And yet, God's hand was in all of that. But he confirmed, in a way, now that, that, that same assignment... Information would not have necessarily meant that to somebody else. But God confirmed by the leading of his Holy Spirit in the counsel of others, according to his word, and even by circumstances in a way that communicated particularly and especially. You know how somebody knows how to say something that you'll get it? That's one of the things i will talk about in that, in that marriage workshop, I think. Somebody knows how to say, God knows how to say something in a way that you'll get it, if you're willing The question is, are we willing? Are we willing to live in God's will? Or do we want our own way? You know, the biggest question about what's God's will, if I knew God's will, I would do it, that's really not the biggest question. I remember my mentor told me years ago he said, "Bob, 90%, 90% of questions about the Lord's will is just doing what you already know God's word says. It's real clear, it's in black and white, and you don't have to study and search it out because 90% of it you already know. We just don't want to do it. We want a different answer. It's kind of like when you're flipping the coin and you say, "Okay, best out of 3? Best out of 5?" Best, we, we can play that game all day if the answer is not going our way, can't we? Are we willing to live in God's will? First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6 says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Don't let the distractions of life and in this world draw you away from God's will. We brought nothing in, we'll take nothing out. I've never seen a U-Haul at a graveside service. We'll take nothing out of this world to be content with God's situation. That's what's going on. Remember the casting of lots, the direct leading and indication of God about where each family of Israel is going to live. A contentment as to who's going to be the next apostles, that this guy or that guy, and the guy that's not chosen is not resented, or rather, is not resentful. I can trust my lot in life, if I can say it that way. I can trust my lot in life to a good and gracious God and his better purposes. The lines, Psalm 16 says, the lines have fallen. God has given me a goodly inheritance. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. We can trust him. Are we content? In in, in 2 Timothy, Paul reminds Timothy of somebody else. A guy named Demas who had been one of Paul's fellow laborers. And yet in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, he has to write, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Not just that he went somewhere on a mission. He has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He's gone to the big city. He's gone to where there were some opportunities that he just couldn't refuse. Compare that to Colossians chapter. 3 and verse 1, there is a big city. It's ahead of us. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That is our future, and that is what we live toward in this life. You know, that's what's going on. If I can turn back now to Nehemiah chapter 11 laid a lot of groundwork about how can I know God's will there was God's direct intervention by his spirit leading the casting of lots in terms of who's going to live in Jerusalem and who's going to live in the areas of their inheritance that's what's going on just like Ezekiel had said his people are again going to live in their inheritance and if you look at the end of chapter the 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 end of chapter 11 verse 20 the rest of Israel, outside of, those who are, outside of those who are chosen to live in Jerusalem, the rest of Israel and the priests and the Levites were in all the towns of Judah, every one in his inheritance. If you look through verses 22 and following to the end of the chapter, verse 36, you find that. Here's a map of it. Here's a map of those towns and what's going on here. That grade section in the middle, that's Judah. That's the Persian province of Judah. And there you have the inheritance or the villages that they're occupying all the way down to Beersheba in the south. Those, Those are the towns of Judah. And then to the north of Jerusalem, those are the towns of Benjamin. So, so Judah and Benjamin have been returned from Babylon and restored into their original inheritance. And yet some of them now need to live in Jerusalem. They need to repopulate Jerusalem. And as somebody put it to me, this is not a tithe of money. This is now a tithe of the people. 10% need to live in Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the place where God has chosen to set his presence. Jerusalem is the place where he is going to make himself known to the world. Jerusalem is the place where Jesus the Messiah is going to be presented. Jerusalem is the place where Jesus our Messiah and Savior is going to be to die for our guilt, our sin, our shame. Jerusalem is the place as Abraham was going to offer Isaac, but God would provide himself a lamb for the sacrifice. And and he does in Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All that is in Jerusalem. And when Jesus returns, he's going to put foot on the Mount of Olives. And he's going to enter Jerusalem. And he is going to rule and reign over this world from Jerusalem. And the, and the nations of the world are going to come up and they're going to celebrate again that Feast of Tabernacles. They're going to come up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's God's city. That's the place where He is determined to make Himself known. This is not, I like that place. I'm going to live there. I'm going to hang out there. Yeah, you can come and see me there. No, God's purpose is to make Himself known. God put this people on a land bridge in between Africa and Europe and Asia so that they would never have peace, so that there would be armies continually running through, so that it's called the land between. This is the land between anywhere, so that the rest of the nations could not ignore what God was doing there as he made himself known through a particular people, Israel. So God has set his name there and, is, and Jerusalem is central to it and so Jerusalem now with the wall finished now it's time to be repopulated. Who's going to live there? We're going to cast lots. We're going to seek the Lord's leading on this because it's going to be a sacrifice. Each of these Men that are willing to take their families and uproot them and move to Jerusalem, they've got their own home. They've got their own lands, which are ancestral lands, which is the land of their fathers, their grandfathers, their great-grandfathers. And it's like Naboth's vineyard, whom he would not sell to King Ahab because God had given that land to his family. And yet they are willing to move for God's will, for God's purposes. I thought, what's a comparison like that? There are times when you or I know that we make a move. We go somewhere else because this is where God is calling. Josh and Danielle are working at trying to get to a place of service in the Middle East. That's where God has called them. He has confirmed that in his word. He's confirmed that through the counsel of others. He has been leading them by his spirit. He has opened the way. He's provided for them in marvelous ways. It's clear. And so they continue to pray for the last things needed for an open door so that they can go. But they're going to leave family behind. There's going to be a cost involved in that. I tasted that cost again when we said goodbye to our kids and our, well, especially our grandson. And sent them back to Zimbabwe. There's a cost in following God's will. It means a willing sacrifice because God God has said to us through Paul in Philippians 2.5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Sometimes there's a sacrifice. We, we will give up what is rightfully our inheritance. We could rightfully live comfortably in this way, and yet we'll give up what we could have or keep for ourselves. We'll give that up in worship to God because that's what his word has said to us. That's what the Spirit has confirmed to us. That is his leading for us. And we're content to walk in God's way instead of our own way. Now, I won't lie to you, that's a steep call. That, that, that can be a steep climb. How can we increase our willingness to do it? If 90% of the will of God is not knowing it, it's simply doing what you know, and the problem is really, I don't really want to do what I know, well, how do I address that? How can we increase our willingness? And I would say cultivate a walk with God. Cultivate a walk with God. Because the little decisions daily are going to make the big decisions of life for you. So look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Another verse we're going to race into. My beloved, as you have always obeyed. This is about ob- obedience. This is about doing what God has said. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. So Paul is saying cultivate, nurture, continue that habit. Work out your own salvation. By working out isn't working your way to being saved. It is this new life God has given you. Work it out in life. Let it be seen in life. Live out toward others what it is that God has now worked in you. How do I know that's what it means? Because that's what it says. Keep reading. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Take it seriously for it is God who works in you. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is working in us. And God at times jiggles our willer. God moves us along. You pray for someone else that they would know and that they would have the willingness and the courage to do what God has said. Pray that for yourself as well. One of the ways we do that is by encouraging one another. Let me go back again. Nehemiah 11 really was my original text. It raised the question, and there's something else there in verse 2. Nehemiah 11, verse 2. The people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. They're given something up, and other people encouraged them in it. There are all kinds of ways that all kinds of people devote themselves, serve the Lord in following Him in ways that cost them something. How could you encourage one of those people that you know? Jeff read Hebrews ten twenty five earlier. Don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We live in difficult days we live in a time in our society and culture where living for Christ is going to be harder it's going to cost you something encourage one another to keep going because of the will of god when i see it when i know it but it's going to cost me something i i don't need somebody was describing to me he said my wife my wife is the princess of justification now what he means by that is not that she's really great at helping people see how to be saved. She can justify anything, he says. And I don't know how you get away calling your wife that to begin with. I don't know how that works. They have a great relationship. But, but I had to smile. Because don't we all have a little share in that lineage? Aren't we all pretty good at justifying our own way instead of God's way? And oh, part of the strength that we need is outside ourselves Because the Holy Spirit is not just in me. The Spirit is in you. And God by his Spirit will speak through you to me. And sometimes the word of God from you is stronger and clearer than the word of God in me. Sometimes I need to hear it from others. Sometimes you need to hear it from others. And so we need to cultivate those kind of relationships. So 1 Thessalonians 5 says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Keep doing it. How can I know the will of God? I don't need to flip a coin. I don't need to roll the dice. I can do what God's word says. Illumined By the Holy Spirit, as he opens his word to me, as he leads me even through the circumstances of life, as he speaks to me through the godly counsel, uh, confirmation and encouragement of one another in the body of Christ. That's what God has done for us. We're going to close singing a song. Take my life. And let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. We're going we're to sing that song. And when we do, I want you to put the image in your mind of our Lord in the garden the night that he was betrayed, anticipating his suffering, his death for us. If there is any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless. Oh, that we could live in these words. Not my will, but your will be done. Our eternal life and glory is because Jesus lived those words. And when you and I live it in a little thing or a big thing, we are showing something of Jesus to others around us and all of heaven. Father, would you give us courage? Would you give us courage to to do what we know, to step into your will, knowing that there is where we will show something of Jesus. Father, would you give us insight, insight and understanding into your word, illumined by your Holy Spirit because we cannot know it by ourselves alone. These things are spiritually discerned with the help of your Spirit. Father, help us also to cultivate that walk with you in relationship with others, that we would benefit from spiritual mentors and encouragers who would speak the truth of God into our lives for Jesus' glory. It's in his name we pray. Amen.